Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper, and I'll be your host. And today's episode features a guest that I've been following on Twitter for a long time, and we'll talk about that a little bit. She is a spark plug. She's an all-star. Folks, you're not going to want to miss this one. Dr. Nancy Guest is a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and certified strength and conditioning specialist. She recently completed her PhD research on the effects of gene-nutrient interactions on athletic performance at the University of Toronto. Dr. Guest is a global consultant to professional and amateur athletes and teams. She was the head dietitian at both the Vancouver 2010 Olympics, her hometown, and the Toronto 2015 Pan Am Games, and has been a consultant to various international and Canadian athletes leading up to the last four Olympics. You heard that right, the last four Olympic Games. She's worked with members of the NHL, NBA, CFL, women's national field hockey and ice hockey teams, world junior hockey teams, as well as UFC fighters, boxers, open water divers, pentathletes, equestrians, Ironman triathletes, ultra-endurance cyclists, tennis players, skaters, swimmers, runners, gymnasts, soccer, and rugby players. Dr. Guest works as a consultant and scientific advisory board member for Nutrigenomics, a genetic testing company based in Toronto that focuses on the areas of research and development and dietetic education. You're going to love this one. So much information. Just a reminder, you can access all kinds of different resources at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. If you have any questions for us about your career, where you're heading, things about the coaching retreat up in the Rocky Mountains this, this fall that's going on, you can email us anytime, results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. We're here for you. Now, on with the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Well, Dr. Guest, it is definitely a pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you so much. I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. You're, you're not only educational, you're also entertaining. So if anybody's missing you on Twitter, why don't you throw your Twitter handle out real quick so they can jump on board with that immediately. Sure. Oh, thanks so much, Brad. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm at Nancy with an I, so N-A-N-C-I. Last name is Guest, like hotel guest, R-D. And PhD, RD, PhD. Perfect. And uh, yes, I am, as you know, active on Twitter, and I like to start some discussions, conversations, <laughs> and, and share information. Yeah, everybody, if you're on Twitter, you're gonna you're gonna love following Nancy. It, it is entertaining, but it's also she's got great stuff. Doctor Guest, you have a fascinating background. Our, our audience knows your bio from my introduction, but fill us in on some of the gaps and and how did you end up where you are today, and some of the primary influencers along the way. Let's start at the uh, beginning of my educational journey. Uh, it is interesting because I intended to be a large animal vet specializing in horses uh, pretty much since I was about 12 years old. And unfortunately, there's a lot to that type of work that doesn't have a happy ending. And as it turns out, my my extreme emotional sensitivity with animals uh, got the best of me. And I, I just realized that this was going to erode my soul. I just would not be able to do it as a career. And it was quite shocking because it was after my third year of taking my animal science degree. And I worked with my vet for a summer. And just what she had to do with some of the horses, and she had to put down two horses that summer. And I was having nightmares. And no. so it was really quite a shocker because 
I intended to, you know, to be a vet and to help animals. That was going to be my life's mission. Uh, so I quite quickly had to, to change direction. And of course, I was lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I floated a little bit. I finished my degree. That was in agricultural science, majored in animal science, floated for a couple of years and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. I always loved science. And interestingly, at, at the same time as me searching for a new career path, I started turning into a gym rat. I joined a gym and I just really got into it. And I was one of those seven day a weekers. And I started looking up uh, what to eat and pre and post workout. Hmm. And I actually had just hired a personal trainer that I was going to meet with uh, about a week or two later. And I had a friend that came in one night, after, it was a Sunday night, and we we're talking about what we did on the weekend. And he said, well, I just took a personal trainer certification course. And right then and there, I thought, that's what I want to do. Hmm. And I envisioned a whole business nutrition, training, mind-body balance, and I really never looked back. I signed up for, for training courses the next day, and that started a whole sort of snowball of going back to school, learning nutrition, doing a master's degree in nutrition, getting my registered dietitian designation. And I think it's important that you stick to what, what you're an expert in and what your education background is, is tailored to. Yeah, scope of practice, uh, so, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Everyone has a very strong opinion on uh, politics, religion, and nutrition. And I really don't know if there's anything else that people feel so strongly about uh, in the health field. And I think nutrition's personal because it's what you eat. And that's something I learned along the way. I have to be careful. I can't go in and destroy someone's beliefs about what they think is good for their body and what they're eating every day. I, I have to tread lightly. And that I had to learn the hard way. I just found that people weren't listening. You, you need to get that buy-in. I'm a sensitive person, and I could see that they sometimes they felt a little um, offended. And I mm. sort of had to learn the the, the people uh, compassionate approach, uh, the, the human to human connection, and 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 soften up on some of the information. I'll just add just some of my early influencers. Uh, do you know who Peter Twist is? I don't. He is one of was one of the very first strength and conditioning coaches in the NHL, and he worked with the Vancouver Canucks. And this is at the time when I joined in, and I was doing some uh, nutrition, some teamwork with the Canucks. But he was very inspirational because he was one of the first who was really about training movement, not just training muscles. And he was mm. one of those pioneers who emptied out the gym and filled it with medicine balls and dumbbells and rubber bands and all kinds of pulleys and crazy things, no machines. And it was about training movement of the athlete. And I'll, I'll always remember sort of my first real understanding of the importance where he would have you stand there and put your hands out uh, out to, to stop anyone from pushing you over. Mm -hmm. And he'd push on your hand. And of course, most people collapse within their core. And he said, okay, fix your core now, tighten your core. And then when he pushed on your hand, of course, you were solid. He was talking about the importance of having that strength when you're in a standing position. So just because an athlete can bench 300 pounds, right. if they're standing and they can't withstand 30 pounds coming at them, that matters in hockey, football. And uh, so that's where he would train the connect, uh, train their chest muscles. I instead of doing bench press, they were using hockey sticks. And he would get two players 
to push another player backwards. And this player had to basically do chest presses in a standing position while walking Hmm. on the hockey stick. So this is just very innovative. And, and and this was really the, the, the start of the functional training and the athlete training that I was exposed to. That's a, a good lead into the fad question. One of the things that we try to emphasize on this podcast is to help the coaches. We're in an industry that is ridiculously full of fads. So we're, we're trying to help coaches avoid the fads, stay focused on evidence-based practices. Are there a couple of fads that you're seeing out there now in the area of nutrition that you could help provide kind of a research-based perspective for the listeners to help them avoid the, just following the headlines all the time? Yeah, that's a loaded question, uh, especially in this day and age where we have so many fad diets out there. Uh, I think, yeah, it's frustrating. And as you can imagine, for me, it's about putting out fires every day. And I used to try and get out there and use up all my energy to educate people and correct people. And now I realize you really have to wait for people to come to you who want the knowledge because trying to to change someone's mind is really near impossible. And I find with the, the, the diet culture currently is we have deniers out there rather than skeptics. And this in, in most of the health field. And what I mean by that is that a skeptic will, they're still not quite convinced, but they're open to seeing evidence and you're able to change a skeptic's mind if you provide them with solid facts and provide them with some evidence. A denier, on the other hand, is just going to deny whatever you say and be in opposition no matter what evidence you present to them. And that's very problematic. And especially in the, the world of science where uh, a lot of these people who are outside the box tend to have the greatest followings. And I tell you, if you can come up with the most ridiculous, far-fetched, <laughs> and even dangerous diet, that's really what's going to make you it's rich attractive. and sell books mm-hmm. and as if you're a pioneer. And so I think uh, rather than looking for the new next thing all the time, same with training, fancy equipment. I mean, stick to basics and common sense and nothing should be extreme. Uh, so uh, a lot of the diets right now that scare me, they're very extreme where you're having 90% of one nutrient and 10% right. is left for the rest, you know, that type of thing. So bring it back, uh, back, back to balance. And, and a lot of the times it is, what, what, were the gra- what were our grandparents eating? Some things, of course, we could do better with. And as our life expectancy extends, uh, also consider that. Look at the places in the world, like the blue zones, the mm-hmm. people that are living the longest, what are they eating? Right. We now have many of these. And I think uh, um, you really have to put the time in and keep your mind open. And uh, so, and also don't, don't jump off, jump to jump on board too soon, you know, take your time and make sure, especially if you're working with clients, if you want to do some experimental approaches with yourself and your own body, that's one thing, but don't start preaching. And especially on social media, you have a responsibility if you're an influencer. And I think you should be very cautious, you know, things like supplements and people will think more is better. And, and uh, we have to be very careful or if, if a, a high protein diet is good for you, a, you know, a very, very high protein or if a high fat diet is good for you, why do you need 
need to eat anything else at all. Right. Just eat it entirely fat. People can take things to extremes and, and we do see that, of course. So I don't want to pick on any particular diet, but of course, there's some obvious ones. And I think keto, we have to be cautious with and in a clinical setting, absolutely. But do you actually have to be keto or can you just go low carb? And what population is this with? I work with athletes and very few athletes can, can be on a sustained low carb diet. We have to periodize the carbohydrates and it goes up and down with your training and with your needs. Contrary to popular belief as a dietitian or someone working with athletes, we do not preach and promote high carb diets. On some occasions, like on a competition day or a race day, of course, it's a high intake of carbohydrates. That's the fuel we're going to use. But we certainly aren't day-to-day -day telling people, telling athletes they need to have 70% of their diet come from carbohydrates. You know, it, it, it goes up and down. And uh, on rest days, of course, you don't need that amount of fuel. We have to look into the details. Nothing is straightforward and everything has context. And I think uh, that's, that's important to consider. And again, who's the individual you're working with? Are you talking about in general or one individual? And of course, that's what I'm about, right? The individualization, personalization. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Surprises. What are some of the biggest surprises you've encountered in your, either in your research or in your work with clients? Anything that you went into it thinking this and you came out of it saying, oh, interesting. I think... Long before I was studying genetic variation and the influence of our genes uh, on how we respond differently to the environment, I think we wanted to pigeonhole everyone, or I did, and I was one to give out generic diets. And actually, I'm embarrassed to think, you know, 16, 18 years ago that I had a diet plan that was just this is for a male athlete. This is for a female athlete. I mean, there wasn't much personalization. I, I, I was surprised to see how much individual response and individual food preferences and goals, how much that matters and how that can really, how that needs to be considered as it re influences the outcomes. And of course, again, being a gym rat, like I said, I was at the gym all the time and just seeing how people uh, responded so differently in the gym as well. And I think we we just sort of thought we we knew the best approach or I thought I knew the best approach and I wanted to just replicate that. And I had a, a tendency to have this cookie cutter approach in my training recommendations as well as nutrition. And so it was surprising to me when things worked so well for one person but didn't work at all for another and now I know why. And then I guess another one that I think is, is great for coaches to, to recognize is the emotional and behavioral considerations of people. I had tended to think, well, I'm an authority on this topic. And when I tell an athlete, this is what they should do, they're going to listen. <laughs> and you, <laughs> that is not the case. Not um, a bit. You need yeah, you need buy-in. And so I would the next time look at their diet and think, these are all the foods I told you you shouldn't be eating. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and, and I just thought that I had these expectations that they would be as motivated and as passionate and about it as, as I was. Uh, but that, that isn't the case. And you need to be good at reading emotions. And I had this happen just uh, with an athlete that was going to the uh, Pyeongchang Olympics. And she 
was not buying what I was saying. And I could tell just by a bit of body language and her facial expressions. And I had to pry a bit. And I said, you don't think this is the right thing to be consuming or the right thing to do. And, and why is that? Let's talk about it. I'm not, I'm not here to judge you or to be, let's, we're, we're a team. We're working together to make sure that you're eating the best so you can optimize your performance. I mean, heck, you're going to the Olympics. You and I need to be on, on the same side mm. and we're both working for you. And don't assume, don't assume because you, you sit down with, a, with an athlete or with a client that they're going to go home and, and implement everything. And I think it's actually worthwhile to ask, is there something here that you don't agree with? If so, that's okay. Mm. Let's talk about it. And maybe they just needed a bit more information because uh, often they'll say, well, my coach said that's not right. Or, and and they have information for, from somewhere else that, and someone they trust and believe in. Mm-hmm. And so um, you need to have these discussions. And also you need to communicate with other health professionals that are working with that individual because often everybody is going beyond their scope and there's a lot of overlap and a lot of that overlap can be different information on the same topic. Right. So, okay. yeah. So I think um, that's important. That leads into the genetic side of things. Can you give us a brief version? You've done a lot of your research on the genetic side of well-being and performance. Can you give us a brief version of some of the key insights in that area that might be helpful in terms of the wellness coaches working with their clients or having conversations around that? Absolutely. One strong thing to take home from uh, what we research uh, with genetics and genetic variation is one size does not fit all. And it doesn't matter if it's a rehab program, if it's nutrition, if it's training, if it's stress management, we need to focus on what is best for the individual. And of course, uh, with uh, nutrigenomics, which is genetic testing for personalized nutrition, that is important as the initial guide. And so that is sort of my first step when I'm working with an athlete or another client. I want to be guided by what their DNA says is right for them. And the type of genetics that we're working with are modifier genes. We're not telling you this is your risk for cancer or obesity or this is these are all the genes you have that are associated with strength or VO2 max. Those are what we call complex traits, and those are not actionable. If I tell you you have three genes that that make you better than average to have a, a higher aerobic capacity than normal, how do you take action on that? Are you supposed to pick up another sport, or are you supposed to go around and brag about it, or you know <laughs> what what can you do with that information? So what I do is I provide actionable information. I look at a a gene that shows that the transport or absorption of vitamin D or iron or the metabolism of caffeine is different in your body, and this is going to change your nutritional requirements. So everything in our body that happens is encoded by a gene, whether it's a receptor, a transporter, an enzyme. These are all endogenous proteins, proteins within your body that have a function And their function is determined and dictated by the gene that matches that uh, certain protein. And when we have a variant in that gene, it means the activity is perhaps altered. And if it's altered, this can change what you need to eat that's going to be best for your body. 
you'll have an increased risk of an uh, insufficiency or deficiency in a certain nutrient. Perhaps it's the way you respond to a high fat diet or a higher protein diet. Uh, so there's all kinds of markers that we can read from a simple saliva sample uh, to see uh, how to best suit your needs when it comes to, to personalized nutrition. One thing I would <clears throat> that's important to get out is that we don't have the same information yet as far as how you should train. And I know that most genetic tests out there that are telling you how to train and saying that you should do this much strength training, high volume, low volume, hit training, long endurance, we don't have the science. We know that depending on your, your genotype or your own unique genes, that you will respond differently to any type of fitness intervention. But right now, we don't know what to do with that information. So to give guidelines or exercise prescription right now is not evidence-based. Certainly within the next decade, this will be a valuable tool to coaches. I'm one of those. I would love to tell people I had the information to tell them how to train better. It, we're not there yet. And so it, it bothers me because this sets a gray cloud, uh, a dark cloud on my field, nutrigenomics as well, because every nutrigenomics test out there is also testing all these fitness genes and telling you how to train. So we don't know enough yet. And, I, and I'm privileged to know some of the world, uh, the, the leading researchers in the world looking at genomics and training. And they tell me it's three, four years before we can actually start giving actionable advice where you could take this advice, go to the gym and start to train uh, according to to your DNA, basically. Okay, so. so if that comes up for the coaches, they're talking to a client and they say, hey, I just did this, blah, blah, blah. What you're saying is if it has to do with training regimens, it's not ready yet. It's three to four years out that's, from the evidence-based piece. That's right. If it has to do with Absolutely. nutritional pieces, there is some legitimacy to that. Absolutely. The nutrition is more black and white because we're often looking at one pathway and the change of one pathway. If we're looking how to build muscle or build strength, there are thousands of genes that are playing a role in that. Okay. Yeah. So it is. And I, when I do lectures, which I do all the time, I say, I, I show a picture of a, a coach training an athlete spotting squats. And I say, your coach knows far more about how you should train and what you need than any genetic test out there, right. guaranteed. Right. So, right. and that, that's important to know. But when it's ready, I'm ready to share it. That's for sure. <laughs> we'll come back to you. That'd I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in terms of elite athletes, you work with a lot of them. What are some of the lessons you've garnered from your work with them that, keep in mind, some of our coaches do work with elite athletes or high-level executives, but a lot of the folks they work with, everyday folks trying to make their lives just a little bit better, are there some lessons that you could garner from the work you've done with the elite athletes that the coaches could apply to their work with folks that are more kind of the middle of the bell curve, if you will? Sure. Yeah. Something that comes to mind is making sure you tell your client or your athlete to really decide what, what they want. What is your goal and how badly do you want it? So I, that's often what I tell young athletes that maybe aren't committed to getting serious about nutrition or training or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I say to them, look, you know what? I have the science. 
I have the path for you. I have the knowledge that you need, but you have to walk that path. Mm. I can't follow you around and make you do it. Uh, you have to be the one to implement it. And I can only guarantee my work if you guarantee you'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's a pretty high success rate with clients that it, adhere to the recommendations. But it's that adherence or changing their behaviors that's often the biggest hurdle. So I, I try and, and I think any, and if you're doing coaching, you know this, you have to be inspirational and you have to have that, that psychological, emotional angle. It's not just dissemination of information. And I think the best nutrition coaches, training coaches, whatever you're coaching, um, you have to tap into to that component and have your client feel excited and motivated. And that's, how I I tend to talk to people who haven't really thought about where they want to go necessarily or how bad they want it. And I also say, you know, you're doing this, but I guarantee you there's an athlete, there's another athlete that you're going to compete against who's doing far more than you. Mm -hmm. They're sleeping better. They're not going out for the beers and smoking the marijuana. They're not, you know, eating junk after their training. They're having a proper meal. Whatever it is, they're doing a little bit more work than you. And why don't you be that person? When you go into competition, somebody has to win the race. Why can't it be you? And if you want it to be you, let's do everything in your power and in my power to make that happen. And if you want it, I can get you there. And I actually have a good quick story of a fellow that signed up for personal training at a, at a gym I work out of. And uh, he's about 65. He's a retired uh, bus driver, real character. I saw him a couple times a week and uh, over about uh, eight to 10 months, he lost 60 pounds. And I, you know, he had just never really done any workouts. He'd never really thought about his diet, but you know why he was so successful. I mean, every week he was down a pound or two on the scale. He was, he basically had linear success, which we rarely see. I mean, he had a couple small plateaus, but I mean, I think it was, we were under 10 months and he had lost 60 pounds and he, and his body composition was, had entirely changed. He basically started out with no muscle, sort of one of those overweight uh, bones and fat, basically. So he was way stronger, uh, completely different physique. I, I was even shocked. I just could not believe how successful he was. And you know what the secret was? He did exactly what I said. He just, he says, you write out for me what I need to do and I'm going to do it. So on the days off, I told him, you have to come and walk on the treadmill at this speed for 45 minutes. And he was just one of those people. He really didn't have, he was a single guy. Uh, He didn't have much going on in his life and he just committed. He completely committed and did exactly what I said. And you know what happened? He had fabulous results. I still touch base with him sometimes. This is about five or six years ago now, but I, it's such a happy story, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's the, the coaches, the ones that are already certified coaches that are listening to this are thinking, yeah, I, I, that's, that's my skill set. They're, they're the good ones, not at, at providing the information that, as you said, does not necessarily translate to application, but drawing out of that individual client, what matters most to you? Why does it matter so much? And where do you want to be? Not where do I want you to be, but where do you want to be down the road? And obviously, you got a great client there with that gentleman. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's yeah. flip the mirror to you. 
How about your own health and wellness? Do you mind pulling the curtain back a little bit, telling us about an area in your life, any of those categories, stress, life balance, exercise, nutrition, anything that uh, you wouldn't mind sharing some of your struggles and, and what you're currently doing with those things? Funny, I always say, and I don't know how many years it is now, I guess we're going on about 20 years. It's been about 20 years that I've been trying to do yoga. So whenever the whenever it became popular, I thought, wow, yoga is amazing. That is definitely something I need. The mind-body connection, slowing down, uh, doing uh, the breathing exercises. And it appeals to me, the concept. But I think I've been to three yoga classes. Uh, I got antsy during all of them. And I just... I find that it's difficult for me to slow down and to do that type of work. It doesn't feel like it's being productive enough. And that's exactly what I need. And people like me that are type A's, uh, I'm self-employed. I've, I've done a lot on my own as a single person. I find that the things I need most are uh, things I'm not putting the time in, living in the present. I still have this discursive mind and, and this, this attitude as well that I'll be happy when I get this done or things will be, okay. I'll relax when I do this and that, and then I'll take time for myself. And it's very important to not do that because I found that years go by and years have gone by where I've, I've met the goal where I thought, then I'll be happy, then I'll relax, and it doesn't happen. You have to incorporate sooner rather than later. Even just reading a book for pleasure, I, I find the pressure that I need to read another manuscript or, <laughs> or read for, a, yeah, the background for a paper that I'm right. writing. Or, or, so it, I think it's also important that uh, sometimes I can let too much time go by without nourishing friendships or uh, those with loved ones. And I, I've had a couple cousins that are back in BC that want to come and stay with me. And I just was always so busy. And I thought, oh, I can't take like five days and entertain someone. And I thought, you know, that's mean. I should I should be having my, my relatives come out and stay any time and I should make the time. You know, family's important and of course the years go by and it, it is important. And just one other tip, and I read a really good book years ago. It was it was a relationship book, I believe, but it had some really great things about just self improvement, being a better person. Mm-hmm. And it asked you how would you want to be identified? Uh, what are the attributes that if someone described you, what would you want them to say? Oh, she's compassionate and she's loving and she's sensitive and she's intelligent. And then, you know, make that list and then ask yourself, are you living up to all of those characteristics that you just described? Is that you? And for those that you're not living up to, how can you make changes to be that person that you would want to be described as? Hmm. That's a really important reminder for me that I, that I look to. And I think, am I being kind right now? I would want to be described as being a kind person, a good listener. And I ask myself, have I been a good listener lately? And so that type of thing, a lot of that, that reflection, and that doesn't take a lot of time. Do it on my walk. My dog walks are also my meditation. So never mind sitting down cross-legged. I, I have to do mind walking. <laughs> my, my, yeah, my mindfulness and my meditation are always in, in the trees, right? Tr- trying to get into the green space. And, and that's, that's something that helps me, even though I'll have to incorporate some of the, the slower things eventually. Nice. Nice. A lot of those resonate personally, and I'm sure a lot of the folks listening are, are feeling the same way, that kind of type AAA, if you will. Dr. Guest, last question. Any final words of wisdom for either current or future health and wellness coaches 
who they want to have the biggest possible impact on the lives of their clients. And, and especially since your specialty is in nutrition, maybe focusing on that path. Sure. Because my research is focused on uh, personalization of nutrition and looking at the individual, I think this fits into all categories of health. And as far as nutrition goes, of course, I emphasize the guidance of of knowing your uh, genetic profile and and designing the diet uh, to begin with based on that. But there are so many levels of personalization, things we might not think about. Uh, A lot of our young athletes or older athletes for that matter, uh, amateur athletes, are they don't have a lot of funding and they don't have a large food budget. And I have to consider what recommendations I'm providing them. So that's Mm. a, a level of personalization. Also, what are their food preferences or sensitivities or what foods are they nervous about that maybe we have to introduce it or if I need to nudge them to be a bit more adventurous. There there are many aspects uh, to nutrition and there are many things in our environment that impact our decisions around what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. And I think it's well worth a coach's time or a nutritionist's time to really delve into all of that with an individual. And that's really going to bring you uh, a lot of success. And I think prying a bit more than people are comfortable with, because asking more questions and listening is a, a skill that we tend to not be as good at as we should be. We want to do all the talking because we're the one with the knowledge. But you can, you can, actually access so much more information to, to ask lots of questions and uh, to to receive the information that, again, will help you treat that individual to your best uh, abilities. Very good. Great advice. Dr. Guest, thank you so much for joining us today. Very much appreciated. And again, everybody, if you're not following on our Twitter yet, get on there. Great stuff. Thanks again. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Didn't I tell you she brought a lot to the table? (laughs) Great stuff, Dr. Guest. And we talked about Twitter a couple times. She is at Nancy with an I, Guest RD PhD, Nancy Guest RD PhD. And if you want to follow me, I also post a lot on human performance and all the aspects around that. And you can find me at Catalyst, the number two, Thrive. So at Catalyst to Thrive and, and happy to follow you back on that as well. One comment that she made that I just loved, and I just want to drive it home, it was kind of funny, but she made her point in a pretty powerful way, and that was when she said, if you can come up with the most ridiculous diet possible, it'll probably catch catch some fire, it'll probably get going. Like, think about that, folks. That's what you're dealing with every day as a health and wellness coach, is all these crazy diets out there. Don't fall for it. We're evidence-based coaches. We're better than that. One quick highlight, when we post this episode, the early deadline for the retreat this fall, the coaching retreat, it's going to be just about here. So if that's something you've looked at, we've created a huge discount for the early registrants. Don't miss that if that's something you want to look into. You can find those details as well as a a bunch of other stuff at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Just click the retreat tab and you'll find it on there. 
And seriously, if we can do anything for you, you just got questions, you're, you're currently a coach and you're not sure how to build your business, you're, you're thinking about it and you're, you just, you don't know, does this really fit with your life? You're a, a physical therapist or a clinician and, and you're wondering how does this complement your current clinical skills? That's what we're here for. We talk to folks every single day and have those conversations. So reach out to us anytime you'd like. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Until next time, remember, we want to become our best self, but the road to that is our better self. Let's keep helping those around us in all aspects work toward that better self. Thanks for joining us, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.